Hello listeners and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast. I'm your host Adam Scully and we're back with another episode of the TFA Scouted Podcast. In this podcast we take a look at players and coaches handpicked by ourselves that we believe are ones to watch for the future. In last week's episode we went in-depth on Genk's highly rated teenage midfielder Bilal El Canous who was smashing it in Belgium with the league leaders and is quickly becoming an important member of the Moroccan national team under Valid Regregi, appearing at the 2022 FIFA World Cup with the semi-finalists. This week, we will be taking a look at another player who was excellent in the final tour, but one who puts the ball in the net, as opposed to creating chances for his teammates. That man is striker, Yorios Iacomakis. Now, before we actually get into this, I'm not going to lie to you. I had two options when researching for this episode of how to pronounce Iacomakis's name. One told me it was Georgios Giacomakis, and the other was Yorios Giacomakis. Um, If I've got it wrong, I'm very sorry. And I apologize to all our Greek listeners for completely butchering his name if I did. Please do let us know on social media. <laughs> I'm happy to, to learn and get better. Uh, it is quite a difficult name to pronounce. Anyway, Giacomakis is an interesting player with a solid record at Celtic under Ange Postacoglu. He's a handful in the penalty area, but may not be everyone's cup of tea. Nonetheless, we've decided to take a look at the Greek goal scorer in Glasgow, analysing his style of play, whether his time with the Scottish champions has been a success, potential future clubs for the target man, and much, much more. Before we begin, though, please don't forget to leave a rating on the podcast if you enjoyed it. It's extremely helpful for us to reach a wider audience, and it would really mean a lot to us if you do. So without further ado, let's get into it. Brian. Welcome back to the TFA Scouted Podcast. It's great to chat to you once more. How was your week? Hey, Adam. I'm fine. I'm really fine. Very glad to be here again talking about football and players. I just got a drink. So I know this is off topic, but I just uh, had a drink of water I've been, I've been drinking for a while now, and it's absolutely awful. Um, I think what happened was... I took the glass out of the dishwasher and there may have been residue from <laughs> the soap. It's really disgusting and I've gone halfway through it and I'm still drinking it and I'm going to drink it throughout the podcast now because <laughs> I've nothing else and I, I I will need to, I suppose, I will need to drink water because I'll be, we'll be talking so much so I'm going to have to just power through it but it's absolutely, it's absolutely awful. It tastes like salt. It's like salt water. Anyway, um, we're, not here, we're not here to talk about my, my dish, my dishwasher pint of water we're here to talk about Jakob Mackis who is Celtic's centre forward in the Scottish Premier League he's a really interesting player for good or for bad which we'll discuss both of those things trust me in the podcast um firstly before we kind of I mean we'll talk about his future in a minute because there's a lot of rumors going around at the minute and there has been for since the World Cup was on that Jakob Mackis wanted yeah. to leave Celtic who knows what club we know the um we know at the minute there's a side in Japan that are interested in taking him there to the uh, J1 league uh, the Oroa Red Diamonds they want to sign him which I believe is for a few million but again there's been no, nothing set in stone they're just merely media reports for now so take again as I always say take it with a pinch of salt but before we get into all that and about his future let's talk about him as a player we'll start with positives He's really, really. Um, I mean, he's quite a big guy in the box. He's six one, which isn't huge, but it's still it's still decent. He's good in the air, of course, as we'll speak about. He's really acrobatic, though. Um, you know, as we will yeah. discuss, he he his kind of his finishing isn't wonderful, but he scores some incredible goals. I mean, several 
overhead kick goal, some where he kind of moves his body to the right, or to, you know, shimmies his body from behind, almost like um, if people remember, I believe it was 1995 or six when Eric Cantona scored against Liverpool in the FA Cup final. It was a really weird, he had, he had his back turned the goal and he kind of swiveled and hit it at the same time and he scored. But he, he scores those, goals, those kind of goals regularly for Celtic. But yeah, he he won't score a two-yard tap-in. Talk to me about, first of all, his kind of acrobatic nature, which is quite impressive to see, I suppose. It's quite impressive because it's it's not the kind of physical... Uh, when you see his physical build, you're not thinking he's going to be that acrobatic to do overhead kicks and all that. He's mm-hmm. very elastic as well to make spins and turns and he likes to hold onto the defender with his back and then grab the ball and turn. So that that's very good and that's not as acrobatic as the overhead kicks he has shown at Celtic. But it's really good to see that kind of attributes and resources he used to escape the, the press of the defender and to make himself an angle of shooting. And that's what I like the most of him, I think. Uh, the it, He's not that self-sufficient player to go low, grab the ball and carry forward dribble mm-hmm. some like Maradona and score a fantastic goal he's not like that but he's very self-sufficient to m- make himself new angles of shooting yeah I really like how how he receives the ball looks t- to the goal and then he tries to or give a touch to the ball or shoot uh, instantly after giving a touch to the ball so that's really nice to see in a striker um, how He's looking always to the best angle to shoot. But sometimes, you, you know, when you're talking about Yakumakis, you just said, like, first we'll go, we're, we'll go to the positives. But has some issues at his finishing that he's, like, a bit impulsive. Let's not go deep in his finishing first. But the thing is, he's not that constant making new angles and being passionate to take a decision. He's sometimes impulsive, so he needs to be, like, he, he needs to fix that because the way he just creates spaces for him and all that to be in the very in a very good position to score is really good. So if he keeps performing those kind of movements, it's going to be great for him. You spoke about his hold-up play, which I agree is excellent, and it's one of his best attributes, you know, defending with his back to the defender. Last week, we spoke about um, Bilal El-Kanous, and it was one of the the criticisms of him is that he's not quite as physically mature as he will be yet, so when he's pressed from behind, he can often easily fall down or he can be dispossessed. You know, Yakomakis is obviously a different position, but he is quite the opposite it's one of his best attributes in terms of when the defender presses him from behind he loves it he's really able to use his arms to hold them off or use his hips to hold them off and then lay the ball off to whether it be a, a, a Matt O'Reilly or or whoever else will play for Celtic on the day um, we spoke just before the podcast actually about players that maybe are similar to Yakamakis and we couldn't really think of someone because they're very he's very um He's a very niche player, I feel. One player that does come to mind, though, and I want to get your thoughts on it, whether I'm waffling or not, is uh, Wout Weghorst. He almost has that same stature of 
I suppose, big man, but great with the ball at his feet, the same as Yakomakis, but he can be kind of clumsy and awkward in the box as well. And But he has great hold of play and, and things like that. Do you think there's anything, do you think there are similarities between him and what, by the time this goes out, will probably probably be uh, Manchester United's new centre-forward? Yeah, the thing with Yakomakis is that he's not predominantly a target man. Mm-hmm. He likes to move, he likes to jump off his zone that, and not turn with the ball but trying to give support to the players in the link up like dropping down giving a touch to the ball in front of the player to the player in front of him so that's the kind of associative things he has that some other target man doesn't have in not in their in the final third he sometimes can drop down to the middle turn and give a touch to the ball and then create a diagonal run uh, after the, the touch. So I, I really like how this kind of things in his play, in his game style. But also, he likes to be really centrally. He doesn't go out for the, out for the wing. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, Celtic like to deploy him as a left winger, but more as an inside forward. And it doesn't really work out as, that well as when he plays centrally. I really like his off-the-ball movement inside the box. To arrive to the box is really good because... And he can he go changed. at the front and back post, which is very notable yeah, in this game too, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, always, yeah. I, always excellent for a centre-forward to be able to... I suppose when you're going to cross, it can be... I suppose once you have the understanding from your wide player whether you're going to go to the front post or the back post which is obviously obviously matters because if you run to the back post and the ball goes front post it's pointless but if you have that understanding with your fullback or winger that you're going to go to the front or back post and they understand that um, it, it, yeah. it, it means a lot and it, it gives him a lot in his game too because it's really difficult to defend against you see him he makes those runs in the box but he waits and he waits and he waits then he makes that dart and run whether it be to the front yeah. or the back I really really like He's off the ball. I think this box penalty area of the ball movements is the best attribute of his game because mm-hmm. he's very unpredictable. He's like sometimes very calm and then he attacks the first post or he attacks the far post. So that's really, really nice to see because some strikers only attack the near post or some strikers only attack the far post. But Marcus attacks the, the two posts and it's really nice to see from a striker to have these kind of uh, tools and to be unpredictable in his movement inside the box because you have to be very mobile. But sometimes he likes to also stay between the two centre-backs where he can grab headers and all that. So And his heading technique is really good. I mean, it's, uh, it could be an underrated uh, aspect of his game, but it, it's really good how he's uh, he's in his heading technique, but and then he, he's really aggressive to take shots at the edge of the box. He likes mm-hmm. pick the balls there, and that's why I think his decision making sometimes is really impulsive and selfish. Well, because he he, does, he doesn't score at the edge of the box, which is the, the and you're right, he does take <laughs> yeah. shots outside the area, but he doesn't score. Mo- um, uh, I don't remember um, from watching his clips any of his goals that were outside the area, but almost all of them were pretty much near the six-yard box or in and around the penalty yeah, area. Pretty much pretty much of his recent goals are attacking the near or far post. Mm-hmm. And he's like arriving at great speed, great power and aggressive 
and with aggressivity. And it, it, these kind of goals are really good. I, I mean, those are my favorites from the strikers, the one that attack really powerful, the near post. And with a first time shot, they, they score. It's, it's really nice to see those kind of movements. But he is a bit selfish when he has the ball. Well, the strikers and center forwards are, are selfish. They have to be because that is his job to score goals. But sometimes he has an open pass or he could like move the ball a bit forward or he gives some touches that he doesn't have to give. Like he, he will have to shot before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, sometimes he's finishing as well. It's not that good. You you just said that he could score an overhead kick and then miss a two-yard <laughs> tapping. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of unbelievable when you're seeing Jakumakis how close he is to score goals and he could even hit it off target. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of strange to see this because of his when you see a striker of his movements and pace and intelligence outside of the of the box and then inside to try to get the ball and then seeing him finish like this you could see the records of him and then you could you could go deep to to the expected goals and you can see that in his career he has a deficit in 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 that aspect of his game well speaking of his finishing because when you look at his goal scoring record over the past 10 years and bear in mind that he's 28 now um, I believe he made his debut back in 2012 uh, in the Greek Super League for Platanias. But the only time he overperformed his XG was in the 2020-21 uh, season in the Eredivisie with VVV Venlo. He scored 29 yeah. goals in 33 appearances, and that includes 26 and 30 in the, the Dutch top flight, which is obviously incredible. He then got a move to Celtic. He was... Bear in mind as well, he was last season's top goal scorer in the Scottish Premiership, which again is, is no feat to be laughed at. It is an amazing record, but he had 13 goals, which is quite a... I feel like a low... I don't mean to be disrespectful. I still feel like 13 is quite a low goal scoring season for a top goal scorer anyway. When you see um, that Kyogo Furuhashi has something like 15 or 16 this season, and he was way below him last season, but he's already... since So... Since Yakomakis went to Celtic, I think he has 19 league goals now in total across but, the two seasons. Furuhashi has almost 30. He's, this season, he has completely yeah. stepped up onto a new level and he's scoring way more goals. I, I, I would have expected Yakomakis to crack on this season and be a lot better than the last campaign because he actually had a very slow start to the last campaign. I remember he went quite a while without scoring and then he kind of picked it up towards the second half of the season. Obviously, Celtic yeah. create a lot of chances on the Postacoglu as well, which really helps him. But you're right. I just think for the, the number of chances he gets, he under and as we have the, the the stats to back it up, he does underperform his XG um, quite significantly. And um, one of the main reasons is because sometimes sometimes he has a habit of choosing the wrong technique in front of goal. I mean, he he has this yeah he has this weird habit of and it, it's not it's not, sometimes it works. He opens his body up completely when he finishes. Um, he almost like if the ball's yeah. coming across goal from say the left side, he's right footed, but he won't go with his left foot. He'll wait until it comes right across to his right foot and then try and try and pass it in almost. And I think just as a centre forward, that hinders you because even that split second 
matters so much because that split second means the keeper has an extra second to come a bit closer then and close the angle. Yeah, you know? to cover the, the, the goal, yeah. yeah. To go and cover the ball and this kind of uh, movement with he, this body movement to to open it completely, sometimes you could shot the ball very off target because all the technique, all you are doing with the foot, it, it, it's going through the body posture. It's really important to to have it, and the technique, the 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 decision to take some shots at the at one v one situations against goalkeeper. Sometimes he doesn't pick the right technique to shot. Sometimes he wants power, and it was like in this moment it wasn't to take power and all that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes he really takes really good shots, and that's what is strange. But the, I think at Celtic, they really love him. I don't know the fans, but the coaching and stuff. I, I think they really like him because of the way he he he, he he's on the spot. He's always on the spot and he's always creating shots and he's always, he's always shooting. He's chaotic. Chances. He's chaotic in the penalty area. Yeah, he's chaotic. Yeah, he's not Darwin Nunez running down the wing and then going to the, to the box. But he's really good. And he's really chaotic on, on inside the box. He creates lots of chances and shots, not only because of the change of directions in the box, but before he makes mm -hmm. diagonal runs every single time. And they are really, really good. So, yeah, he he has a bad finishing. but And he, I don't know about you, but to me, it fits really well into Postecoglou's tactics. He is a Perfect striker for Postecoglou. But I, I just well just touching on just touching on that. I think one of the reasons, obviously, he he scored nineteen league goals now since joining him uh, last season at the start of last season. Sorry, but he Celtic creates so many chances on a match to match basis. I mean, they'll easily dominate seventy five percent of the ball, yeah. no problem at all. You do create a, quite a lot of chances. I feel in a team, and we'll get on to maybe some clubs that he'll fit. Pretty soon, but in a side that maybe will be expected to have less possession than their opponents on a game-to-game -game basis, I wouldn't necessarily trust him to to be the number nine to know that when you know you do get forward on the odd chance and you need to take your chance. I don't think. I mean, there's a there's a higher chance that he won't. Yeah, you can compare what Celtic does in the league to the Champions League. In the league, he. He's registering Correct. like yep. three or four shots mm -hmm. per match. And that is absolutely crazy to think to have three or four uh, moments to score a goal is crazy. And then at the Champions League against teams like Shakhtar, Leipzig or Real Madrid, even at Re against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu, he had lot, not a lot of chances, but like a really that one chance... Where you, where you need your center forward to target. When you need it, when you need it, and he didn't, he didn't hit the target. So, at that context, that you just have to be so like, you just have to be on target one time. Mm -hmm. It's the Champions League, and you are Celtic. You're not. You're big. You're really big. But in the Champions League, the context changes. You, you're facing against Real Madrid, and you just have to be really accurate with your decisions, with your shooting. And even against Real Madrid, we all know them. If you, you can create 
20 chances and you're playing massively, but they have three and they have scored three and they win the match. So he, he, this determination to win the match in one chance, I don't quite see him doing this. It's not in, inside his game style. He has to play and he has to be in, inside three or four chances to score in this. It's kind of wow it's kind of really and i tough. just think yeah he needs to i suppose playing a team like celtic that do dominate possession quite a lot um obviously Venlo was a huge exception i mean his numbers are absolutely astronomical but throughout his career respectfully it was a complete anomaly in his career when you look back at his record even in greece you know in league appearances from 67 games he scored 15 goals which is once every four matches which again he was only up and coming, but it's still not ideal. Then he went to, I believe, Aiki Athens, and he only scored three goals in in nearly fifty appearances, league appearances. That is, you know, it's not, and like that's his home country. You know, that's it's not, um, it's just not ideal. And as I said to you, when he was in the area divisie, you can point to that and say, yeah, but they wouldn't dominate possession like an Ajax, Feyenoord, or or, or um, PSV Eindhoven, or an Al- AZ Alkmaar, which is completely true. But it was an absolute anomaly in his whole career, to score that many. It was the only time in his career he scored more than 20 goals in a league season, as I said, in the Scottish Premiership. Sorry, last season, he got 17 goals. That was my bad. I said he scored, um, I think he said he scored 13, 17, I believe. No, 13, 13 league goals. No, I'm correct. Um, apologies, I got my numbers mixed up. He scored 17 overall, 13 in the league. And again, this season then, he scored 6 in 19, which is one every just over three games, which isn't awful. But I just feel for the number of chances that Celtic may create and obviously that doesn't take into account his number of starts which may be a lot lower than that I just feel like he's a very he just needs more chances than is usually necessary for a centre forward and I think he needs to play in a possession based team in order to get the best out of him because if you're a side that rely on three or four chances a game as a team and you, you sit deeper and you hit teams on the break he's not the guy you need to be up front to finish off those chances because he more than likely won't. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And if he could have like an, a dribbling ability, he will be, he will have been deployed as a winger in some, but as a real winger in some teams because he has the, ca- the chaos and the attacking mind to go into the box with really good power, physical mm-hmm. power and he doesn't have the dribbling ability and he feels very comfortable playing as a striker. So he's also, he's not 20 or 23 years old. He's 28. Well, so I'm saying we have such a, we, we, we have a really good, um, you know, there's such, there's such good examples of him struggling in front of goal. It's not as if it's such a small sample size. It's quite large. It's 10 years now in the professional yeah. game or 11 years, sorry, I believe. And it's quite a large sample size to see that that one season was an anomaly in the Eredivisie. Yeah, but if you think of him in other aspects and even in the defensive phase, to play under Postecoglou, you just have to be really intense and mm-hmm. really, you just have to kill yourself to win the ball back. And he's really good defensively. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the kind of striker Postecoglou wants up front, defending and, and being the first one to to command the line, but obviously you then see him doing his primary job that is finishing and it's not that good, but yeah. 
the thing is his off the ball movements also create lots of chances diagonals and change of directions in his runs confuse uh, defenders drag markers and it's it, that ability is really good not all strikers have that kind of ability you know yeah and I, I completely agree with his attributes in the defensive phase as well he's a very hard working center forward so as I said if you're a team that are sitting deep and you're trying to hit teams on the break he'll certainly work hard for you he will work hard to close down spaces to close down players to 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 press the ball and he does that for Postecoglou Celtic as I said when he plays as a left winger he's always always pressing the full back on the or the right back sorry the right wing back at the right center half depending on the system the opposition plays he's a very intense out of possession uh, his number of high regains and, and recoveries in the final third is excellent as well he just lacks that efficiency in the final third, which is kind of where you need him the most, especially when you're a possession-based team. And again, you, you talked about his hold of play. Of course, that's so, so important because when you are a possession-based team, you'll need to break down the opposition's block by holding the ball up, playing runners off you to get in behind, which is so important. But I think when you yeah. when you need him most in his actual goal-scoring abilities in the penalty area, He's yeah, he's he, he's not bad, but he's irregular. Mm-hmm. That, that's the thing. He oh yeah, he, sometimes I, I feel like we're being quite harsh. Like he's not a, a, a horrendous goal scorer. He still has decent numbers, especially in the last couple yeah. of seasons. He's just quite irregular and inconsistent. I think that's probably the best way to summarize it. Yeah, totally. Let's discuss then potential clubs he may go to. Brian, you and I had a discussion before the podcast started about potential clubs he could move to in the future there is rumours as I said at the start of the podcast that he is whether he wants the exit door he's maybe not happy in Glasgow he feels he could move to a top five league I'm not too sure what the the issue is some reports have said that the problem is that he wants to move to a top five league again I'm not going to just base my opinion off media reports because there are there is a lot of waffle out there Um, but we will try and stick to the top five leagues just out of just, just out of interest, really, you know, to see what kind of sides he maybe could fit into based off the type of player that he is. And we picked some interesting clubs that I think it's fair to say, Brian. Would you like to kick us off on some? Yeah. I, I could pick, like... I want to pick clubs for him. Like, think of clubs he could move only because only thinking of his profile and not thinking of his uh, finishing because you just have to think in w- what type of player, player he is and where he could fit and I really see him feeling like him the Bundesliga is a really good league for him because teams are very direct and lots of chances are created in, in the matches and they're not that similar, but it's, it could be like really interesting to see if Hoffenheim, after the sale of Ruter, wants to change a bit of the striker style mm-hmm. and they could be in for for Yakumakis. Werder Bremen could be looking for a really good, uh, re- uh, like not a replacement, but uh, another striker similar to Fulkrog. They're not too similar, but they are in in a well. They're not identical, but they have some similar things. And if you think of maybe the league on at Marseille, where they haven't been playing with a 
pure striker mm-hmm. or Lille, even if Jonathan David leaves, it, 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 it could be, it could be a, 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 a good replacement at France. The thing is at Lille, obviously chances like that are, aren't coming in. A, a comeback to the Eredivisie, but obviously we, we want to stick into the top five leagues. I really see like the Bundesliga league on or Serie A even could be a really interesting league to see. Atalanta has been playing with some type of target mans mm. before, so why not? Why, why not playing there? It could be interesting for him to play at Italy. He, I, I've seen players, but like a large list of players like him with bad finishing and all, not bad finishing, but irregular finishing and all that. And a, a really good attributes on and off the ball besides that irregular uh, aspect of his game playing at Italy. So maybe Atalanta could be a really good fit because they create chances. They, they want their striker to be a little bit hold up in his uh, search, in their search for, for, for attacking. Brian, there's someone who works, when I say someone, I mean yourself, who works in recruitment analysis. How difficult is it to kind of weigh up the similarities or the the differences in quality of a league like the Scottish Premiership and the Eredivisie compared to a top five league? Because it is, and again, I don't have the the data to back this up, but in my mind, it seems quite 50-50, and I know it sounds cliched, but it does seem quite 50-50 that a player goes from the Eredivisie to a top five league and they either make it or they don't, especially in the Premier League. And I think the step up as well from the Scottish Premiership to the Premier League is so colossal now, bigger than it's ever been. You know, years ago, you had players like Lou McCarry when he came from Celtic to Man United back in the, I believe it was the 70s or I think it was the late 70s, mid 70s. Um, you know, you, you you would have these kind of players who would come over from Scotland to England and they'd smash it. Now I feel like yeah. they'd step up from the league is so, so different now I don't believe a side like a Liverpool or a Manchester City or a Man United would be looking for Celtic centre forwards again with the fullest respect to Celtic and the league as a whole I just think the, the the difference in class of the leagues has been so so stretched now in recent years Um, so when you're looking for like clubs for Jaco Macus if we're analysing that we're looking at a team in the Premier League per se what kind of you know I, I, do you think the championship is probably a better um, it's better to weigh up kind of qualities in the championship compared to the Premier League, or do you think maybe he could make it that that huge step up now from Scotland to England or to the to Premier League? It it could be made. I think when you're, well, this is my obviously personal point and and thinking of of how to recruit a player that is playing outside of the top five and all that. The technical quality is. Is going to be always there. His profile of a player is going to be always inside him, but but the profile the, of the opposition the, will be very different. Yeah, exactly. And to know that, I mean, it's only well, not only, but much of it, it has to be on the mentality of the player. If the player has the right mentality to succeed in a top team or in a top league, not in a top team, but in a top league, mm-hmm. it has to be from him. But to you as a 
recruitment analyst, a sporting director, uh, I don't know, coach, to take the decision of signing these players. You just have to be, you, you just have to make a really deep, deep research of the player and be really sure, talk to him about his mentality and all that and be really sure that the things he has to get better on, you will work on that and you will develop that kind of things and the things is really good you will obviously take it take him to another to the next level with your mm -hmm. coaching staff and that he adapts to the roles of the squad so if you're signing a left winger a, a wide left winger for your team and you play with inside wingers it's not going to work out for him you know he could have technical qualities to play there but he will need time to adapt and that is something that in this kind of leagues sometimes some teams doesn't want time especially want at, especially at 28 impact. though i feel like maybe you'd be more patient yeah. with a player who was younger if he was starting his career but i think at 28 when you're when you're in your peak years and you fully matured as a player i think it's much more difficult and teams are more impatient and i suppose as a player yourself yeah. If you've played centre forward for ten years, and then all of a sudden, or even as a winger, but you're, I suppose, wider, and you're maybe, or even closer to centre forward, and all of a sudden, then you're being tasked with kind of playing in the half spaces, or uh, you know, being more creative. I think you would really, really struggle to adapt to that. Before we wrap up, Brian, are, you know, are there teams in the Premier League that you think Yakomakis could potentially move to and have a real impact? You know, you could. There are twenty teams in the league, and I only could see him at this moment uh, fitting for a team but they have already signed a striker that is really uh, strange uh, to Yakumakis that is Leeds United mm -hmm. they press high they create chances with the pressing they are really chaotic when they have the ball and they want strikers to be like that but they have signed Ruter and it's really different so the search of Jesse March and Leeds United in general at that spot it's different to Yakumakis. some other teams could be the, the teams that want a striker wants a striker like Leicester City but I think Patson Daka if Leicester City are in a good collective context he could really shine and they mm. wouldn't need like another striker to be there then you could think of Newcastle, which are looking for a striker, but I think their uh, expectations are in a level of Gonzalo Ramos or something mm -hmm. like that. <laughs> so in the Premier League, it, it's really tough. But maybe Crystal Palace. Well, they actually, don't press that high. speaking of Crystal Palace, they don't press the high, but they, I mean, they already signed the centre forward off Celtic a few seasons ago in Otani Edward. And yeah. of course, I suppose it's the best comparison in recent times of a player to go from the Scottish Premiership to the Premier League. And he he's 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 done okay. Um he's done reasonably well. I I, I feel maybe I'm being too positive. You know, I think Palace as a whole have gone through a massive transition and he, he's chipped in with a good few goals for uh for Palace under Patrick Vieira. But I, as I said, I think it's probably the best comparison right now of a player to go from either Celtic or Rangers to the Premier League and adapt well yeah. enough to it? It's difficult to think, you know. And with that example of Edward going from Celtic to Crystal Palace, 
it's difficult to know if he could have an impact to play in the Premier League. But he obviously, he wants to play there. There are rumors of teams interested in him because of what we are saying. He's very good. His profile, his intensity, his movement is very good. So he could, I mean, how many teams in, in, in world of football have signed strikers that are irregular? On mm-hmm. their finishing, but his their, his movements are really good, and they sign him because of Liverpool that. just paid eighty million for one. <laughs> so it, it it's really like obviously it's a tough decision to take, but he has the the characteristics to play in different mm-hmm. leagues of of the top five. I, I don't know if the Premier League could be the the, the league that fits the best. To Yakumakis, but they are four other ones that he could fit, and even more for me, league on Italy and the Bundesliga. Or back to the area division where he had his absolutely best season. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, given his record there at, at Dutch side, would be interested in taking him back because he absolutely smashed so, it with Veve Venlo. We'll wrap up the podcast now. As you can testify, Brian, I have just I'm just about to finish this disgusting point of war. Yeah, I've seen your face when you drink the water. And it's really, you have been suffering there. <laughs> and it's gone. That was vile. Um, <laughs> I'm probably going to wrap up the podcast and get sick. But anyway, we will wrap it up there. Brian, thank you so much for joining me. As always, it was a pleasure to speak to you. To all the listeners at home, I hope you enjoyed too. Make sure to tune back in on Monday as Brian and I have another episode of TFA Scouted for you all. And... This Thursday, we have a very special guest coming on the podcast. Please make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends, and families as it really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now.